Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to the book of Acts. In your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. We'll be looking at chapters 27 and 28. Picking up on a series I started a long time ago, looking at different people in the New Testament and Old Testament and seeing if we can learn something from them. So today we're going to ask what we could learn from a shipwrecked preacher. And there are people like that. In fact, is the Bible as itself is a great piece of literature. All sorts of types of literature, great stories, those kinds of things. I know one time I went through and I went through the whole Old and New Testament looking for sermons because if you're a preacher, the number one goal is to try to figure out what you're going to talk about next week. That's the number one fear of preachers, not knowing what to talk about. If you can imagine a preacher not knowing what to talk about. So anyway, we go through the Bible and we look at, at, at stories and things like that. And I found over a hundred good stories in, in the Old and New Testament. Good stories that are the basis of most of a lot of my sermons. And then at least a hundred interesting people. Some good people, some bad people. Some people of faith, some failures. But there are things we can learn from these folks. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at different individuals who experience great things at the hand of God. And we're going to see what we can learn from them. So today, the Apostle Paul, a shipwrecked preacher. Acts 27 and 28, as always, we begin with a time of prayer. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. You probably know this. It is a very Christian nation. So when we pray for Ukrainians, we're praying for brothers and sisters in Christ. Some Catholics, some Orthodox, smatterings of Baptist, but Christian. So pray for them, for an end to the hostility, for peace. Pray for wisdom for our leaders, for those who have power. Pray for our country. Pray for our church. For our youth group who have to work now without Russ. Russ is beginning his new church leadership in Lexington, Missouri today. So we are without. So our volunteers, some of our pastor, pastor friends, pastor members, moms and dads, some kids are in leadership position for a while. So pray for them. Pray that God would lead us to the right person for the right position. I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence. We gather in safety and security and comfort and worship you, Father. We thank you for that privilege. We are privileged in this great nation to be safe and secure, well-fed and comfortable. Have a government that is trustworthy for the most part. Leaders who try to do the right thing. Thank you, Father, for that. We know that it has come at great cost. Thank you. 
We also come in the name of Jesus, recognizing that this faith that we have came at great cost. You sacrificed your son Jesus for us. You worked your work, work of life-saving, brought him back from the dead, gave us victory over sin and death. We thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit which lives within us, for Scripture which teaches us for the church as a place where we can be nurtured in our faith. Thank you, Father. Lord, we ask these things today that you would be with us. We know that we struggle, that some in our congregation struggle with life and death issues. Some have lost loved ones. Others are facing crises at home. We pray for our people. We pray that they would sense your presence at work in their lives. We all have secret struggles. Help us as only you can. We ask for mercy and forgiveness, Father. We are sinners all. Even though we follow Jesus and claim his blood and have received your spirit, we still chafe against your restrictions, sometimes reject you, at other times simply ignore you. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. We pray for those in Ukraine, for their safety, for peace in that part of the world. Pray for wisdom for those who have great powers. Help them to use it with discretion and discernment. We hate war, and yet on this earth it seems essential. Help us in our fight against evil. Give us a willingness to share what we have with others. Help us to have the ability to share not only the stuffs of war, but the stuffs of this life, including faith. We pray, Father, for those families of loved ones, for those that have lost loved ones in conflict, for first responders and their families. Give them hope and protection and comfort. Lord, teach us today from your word. Help us to learn from those that have gone before us. Help us to learn from their experiences. Give us faith. Again, Father, thank you for all good things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes, once in a while, things don't go as planned. I was going to start talking about if you've ever had a bad day. And so I went on the internet and punched in having a bad day and how to deal with it. I can't give you most of the stories that came up, but there was one in particular. Guy was a shuttle bus driver, drove in the inner city, not in Kansas City, but in somewhere he drove one of those buses that drives around town, and he hates his job. He said, sometimes it's okay because the people are okay. He said, but the job itself just fighting heavy traffic day after day he just it just wears him down he said and sometimes he's just so miserable and he's found a way to help him deal with that momentary agony he looks back in his mirror and in his mirror he can see everybody on his bus and he knows them all by name because they're the same people for the most part day after day and he mutters to himself under his breath they never hear him and he said you're all crazy aren't you and then he hits the brakes twice and they go. 
and he laughs and smiles and he said that seems to take the edge off of his crummy day and he goes on about his business he goes on a bad week he'll do that several times a day on a good week he'll do it once or twice sometimes on Monday well now what do you do when you have a really crummy day how do you handle that how do you handle the fact that in this life stuff happens and you know what I mean it's just not good nobody's day is perfect every day nobody's life is perfect every life and sometimes those bad days can turn into weeks and months and even years can't they so what do you do with that we want our faith to make a difference we want to say that Jesus helps us deal with those days and weeks and months and years and yet at the same time you and I both know you don't always get to pray and get everything fixed so today we're going to talk about Paul in one of his adventures and I'm going to sum up several months of agony just real quickly rather than reading to several chapters where this is we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul preacher got himself in trouble preaching Jesus made all the wrong people angry they told him to shut up he said no I'm not going to they said you've got to stop preaching Jesus he said no I have to so he preached Jesus and he was arrested and I'm gonna skip a whole lot of details here and you can go and read those chapters later he was arrested tried before a bunch of preachers that didn't like him was put on a ship to Italy which switched ships at another place somewhere along the way he said that he was a Roman citizen which changed everything because in that culture in the citizen in a um, empire of Rome when you were a Roman citizen you had a right to appeal your judgment to Caesar and that was a big deal and he did that and that got everybody in trouble because they didn't know that he was a Roman citizen by birth so they were in trouble and they knew it so they were going to ship him off to Rome to see Caesar so this was his journey from ship to ship from group to group storms lots of problems people didn't like him several places they stopped he was chained to a soldier that was the way it was there were other prisoners in the same plight on this ship of soldiers carrying a prisoner so this was a prisoner ship it wasn't just a ship with a few bad guys it was a prisoner ship and it was a miserable experience they got into a horrible storm and they knew they were going to die and it was one of those storms that lasted for days talk about a bad day bad weeks they had to start jettisoning the cargo off the ship just so the ship wouldn't take on too much water and they were starving and they didn't want to eat their last food because they didn't know when they would be able to eat again and this went on for just days they dropped anchor to stabilize the ship and finally Paul told them listen and I know I'm cutting out a lot of details he said listen guys we're gonna be alright God has told me this but it's gonna get worse so think of what he just told him you should have listened to me earlier and they didn't it's gonna get worse let's stop and let's eat one last meal together but we're all gonna survive so you know what they thought of this preacher who was a prisoner and a therefore a criminal in their mind they all thought he was nuts but they didn't know what else to do and he was a good guy he had been encouraging to them before and so they stopped everything in the middle of this storm and they ate their last of their grain and drank the last of their water knowing that this preacher guy said that it was going to get worse 
but they would probably survive. And Paul was right. It did get worse. And finally, the ship grounded out, and they were able to jump off and make their way to shore in an island called Malta. You know it. It's south of Sicily, about 50 miles, out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, middle of nowhere. Wasn't close to anything, but was a nice place. They learned to trust Paul there. Now, they didn't all turn to Jesus. That's not what happened. But what happened was, they got to Malta, and there was a guy there who was in charge of the island. And in those days, that happened. And so this guy who was in charge of the island wanted to help them, and he was a nice guy. And he knew that they were prisoners because they were still chained to their soldiers. And the soldiers were there, and the soldiers had wanted to kill them, and the captain wouldn't let them. And so this was not a happy bunch. And so the man said, we're going to keep you for a while. We will let you stay here. His father was ill. So the guy who owned the, owned the island, who ran everything, his father was dying. Paul said, why don't you let me talk to him? So Paul, the preacher, the one who had seen God do the miraculous, made the journey, saw the man that was dying, prayed for him, laid hands on him, and God miraculously healed him, which of course ingratiated himself to all the islanders, including the man who ruined the place. So they said, okay, you can stay here. So for the next three months, they stayed there while the seas calmed and the season changed and all those kinds of things. Eventually, they were able to get back on ship. All the soldiers had survived. All the prisoners had survived. They all go back on the ship again, and they made the way finally to Rome. At Rome, and this is, the, I know I'm winding up a lot of stuff here, Paul was under house arrest. Now, in those days, house arrest meant you come up with the money and you pay the rent and you can stay in a house and if you can get food brought to you and get people to pay your way, you can stay alive and we'll talk to you later. And this is how Caesar would wear people out. You ever been on hold on, for a long time on the telephone? This was Caesar's version of putting you on hold. So for a long time, two years, Paul was under house arrest, couldn't leave the house, spent two years of his life chained up to a Roman soldier. Now, the Roman soldier wouldn't let him go because if Paul escaped, the Roman soldier would be put to death because this was a big deal. And so the Roman soldier stayed right with him all day long, 24-7, for two years. But under house arrest, here's the deal. If you could get people to bring you food and money and you could survive and pay rent and stay out of trouble and keep your guard from killing you, which was a thing, if you could do that, you could do pretty much whatever you wanted in the confines of that house. So Paul was a smart guy. He was able to connect with people, and they brought him food and money, enough to stay. It wasn't the life of Riley. He wasn't living large, but he was surviving. And he organized a caravan of people to come and talk to him from all over the world. And they talked about Jesus for two years. So Paul's ministry, which ended up, started with a very bad day and ended up with several bad months and in a bad two years ended up being a blessing to literally hundreds of thousands of people because people would come, they would learn the gospel, they would oftentimes get saved, and they would go off and start churches all over the world because of this circumstance where God worked in pretty crummy circumstances to bring him out a good thing. So in the end, it all worked out well, but it wasn't easy, whatever. So today we're going to learn what Paul might have taught us from this story. It's, it's one of those stories, it's, it's almost too much 
And yet Paul would say it's the truth, like history can often be. So what I'd like to do is, first of all, start by reading in Acts chapter 27, verses 20 through 26. So follow along if you, if you would. Acts 27, beginning at verse 20. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And when they had gone on a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice, and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. And yet, now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. So, it's a, really a bizarre story if you think about it. So, here this preacher, good guy, preaching a positive message about salvation in Jesus, saying, all right... This is the way it's going to be. God's told me we're going to be fine. So get ready because we're going to be shipwrecked. And this is the way it's going to happen. And so there's this certain sense of irony there. So he gave them an answer for the future. Trust God. He's going to care for you. But it's going to be a long, hard journey. You're not going to hear that sermon on TV probably, are you? Because normally preachers in our culture want to be able to say, when you follow Jesus, it's going to be fine. It's not always fine when you follow Jesus. The fact is, sometimes following Jesus makes life harder. Remember, Paul was in jail, arrested, on these ships because he was following Jesus. So, some of the things that Paul might teach us, you can see these on screen. First of all, God can give you courage when you need it. They didn't carry life rafts. And a lot of guys, strangely enough, a lot of guys who worked the boats didn't know how to swim. Soldiers chained to prisoners probably couldn't swim. In a shipwreck, most people would die. Everybody knew this. No secrets here. They were going to die. And this was their understanding. We're all going to die. And the soldiers think, I'm going to die with this worthless vagabond tied to my, my arm. And the prisoners think, I'm going to die with this creepy soldier tied to my arm. And the captain's thinking, what did I get myself into? And there was Paul, who got this message from God, said, listen, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but you will survive. There will be a shipwreck, and it's going to be miserable. But you will survive. Not a single one of you will die. So, one of the things we have to understand is that if you learn to trust God that his teachings are correct, that there is this end goal that God is working for, that maybe things won't end up like you want, but you are given courage to face whatever comes. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy or fun or anything like that. You know, anyone who tells you that if you live a certain way, everything will be fun or easy or enjoyable or make you happy, they're lying to you. It just doesn't work that way. But the big picture from God is, I am with you to the end. And you can count on me to be with you. And strangely enough, that is enough to give people courage for the task at hand. 
Paul was able to encourage these people, soldiers and prisoners and sailors, and for some reason, when they should have given up, didn't. When they should have killed the prisoners, which was standard fare in those days, they didn't. They were re received courage simply because Paul said, God is with you. It's hard to explain to non-believers, and I don't mean to be critical of anybody, but faith doesn't always make sense, does it? I can't see God. I cannot prove his presence. I cannot prove anything about God other than the fact that I believe in him and that he's worked in the past. That's all I can say. And when I say he worked in the past, that's typically how I interpret history. Folks, that's all we've got. And yet, for some reason, when we talk about the way God has worked and we speak with conviction and people understand that it's coming from the heart, that tends to help people and give them encouragement and hope. We've seen this just in the last few weeks with the president of Ukraine. A little bitty guy, not a soldier, a comedian by trade, an actor, oh my gosh, nothing more than emotions with a big mouth. That's what it was his stock in trade. There he is, president of a nation that's going to be overwhelmed by one of the largest militaries in human history. And yet, when he spoke with conviction and passion, they were encouraged, weren't they? They didn't give up. Never doubt the idea that your faith and your courage is contagious. The second point here is related to that. Your faith can be a real encouragement to others. People do not have to necessarily believe in God to believe that you believe in God. And that, that doesn't make sense if you press it. But sometimes when people have convictions, it is contagious and people will follow that person with convictions even though they don't have those same convictions. History is replete with leaders who have done that very thing. They've led people who didn't believe all the same things. They sometimes doubted what the leader was saying, but the leader had such conviction that they would follow him or her. The people on the boat weren't Christians. There was Paul. They heard him preaching. That's what he was there for, and he wouldn't shut up. So they all heard the gospel of Jesus. Probably some of them got saved on their journey. We don't know that for sure. But he spoke with such conviction. God told me we will be fine. And when everybody was trembling and afraid and a mass of tears, Paul was strong. He had this inner conviction that God was going to be with us. God's here. God is with us. Remember that old Christmas story, Emmanuel, God with us? Paul really believed that, and you know this. Sometimes a leader is infectious because of his faith or conviction. You just know things are going to work out. It doesn't make sense. But it happens. One of the other things, you can see this on screen... Paul would teach us that you always have to be alert to the possibility of ministry. Have you ever had a discussion with someone and after they walk away you think, I wish I'd have thought of that. You know that? Happens to me almost every day. Almost every day. Or you go through a situation and you don't know what to do and then two weeks later go, that would have been a good thing to do. I had one of those discussions this week and 
you know, I meet with, I meet with, I stand at the door and greet the child care parents. And this is my window to a hurting world because I have about 65 or 70 families who bring their kids every morning to our child care. Usually mamas, sometimes daddies, in various stages of happiness, good moods, bad moods, and whatever else in between. Lots of bad moods, lots of tears, particularly on Monday morning, as Terry and Kathleen can attest. Lots of tears. I get to know some of these people, as Terry and Kathleen and I do, and some of these people are in our child care for 10 or 12 years because they have three or four children. And so they're in our child care, so we get to know them really well, and they talk about everything, and some of them keep you at a distance, but some of them start talking to you, and things come out. And I had one of those conversations with one of these young mamas this week, and she's been married for several years, and everything's going okay. And right now, I sense that her marriage is going through a rough spot. Now, she hasn't said that. She hasn't said, Pastor Kevin, my marriage is in a rough spot. She doesn't say that. But she comes, and as we talk, her eyes well up with tears, and then she walks on. And so, I've learned that's a key. When, you know, when a woman's eyes flow up with tears, that, that's a bad sign. And, and, and if you're a smart guy, you don't poke too much there. But, she comes back every day with a child. And so somewhere along the way, I began to talk. How are things at home? How's your husband? Because I know them both. And the tears come, and she chokes them back, and things go on. Anyway, I was right, and the marriage is going through a rough spot. They're not near divorce or anything, but, but they're really going through some struggles. And she was telling me her side of it, and I know I don't get both sides, so I, and I, I'm not a counselor, etc., etc. But I talk. And sometimes I, I try to get into some little bit of wisdom that might help. And I had one of those conversations where she said something, and I, my mind went blank. You've had that happen. You, you know there's something wise you're supposed to say, but for the life of you, you don't know what it is. And your mind goes blank. So I said, I'm sorry. And that's all I could say, I'm sorry. And she walked away. And no longer did her brake lights hit at the parking lot. I, went, oh, I should have said Two days later, when she came back and I had a chance to talk to her, talk to her again, how are things at home, etc., etc. By this time, you know, I've been there and I have the pastor sticker and they know I'm a preacher, etc. And so I said, you know, the other day you said X. I said, it sounds like. And she goes, yeah. And then I said what I realized that I should have said the day before, two days previous. And the tears welled up. And I realized that I would really missed an opportunity to minister two days previous just because I wasn't on my game. You know, things interrupt me and I'm not always in a good mood in the morning either, etc., etc. And I told her what I thought I needed to say. And she goes, I never thought about that. I don't know what's going to happen in that marriage, but you know, I've been in those situations just like you have where you just miss an opportunity. You're not prayed up, you're not paying attention, you've got your own stuff, and you miss chances for ministry. You're good folk. You do your best. But like I said, if you're not prayed up, and you haven't dealt with your own stuff, and you're not ready to help anybody, you may miss a lot of opportunities where you can make a real impact. Paul would say, listen, you've got to be on your game in this life. For you as an individual, there's a burden of conviction. You follow Jesus. You follow the resurrected Christ. Christ has saved you. Doesn't mean your life is perfect. But it means you have a source of hope and truth and faith 
that can literally save your marriage or your life or the life of someone else you encounter. So you've got to be on your game. There's, there's a certain burden that comes with knowing Jesus because to whom much is given, much is required. So anyway, if you understand who Jesus is, you've received him as Savior, you know that God can help you, there is a possibility that today or tomorrow, somewhere along the way, you may be somewhere and be confronted with an opportunity for ministry. If you're worried about being late, or you don't want to be bothered, or you're worried about your growling stomach, or sick dog, or whatever, you may miss it. Or you may just not want to mess with it. I would encourage you to do something different, like Paul did. Get prayed up. Remember he said that God came and told him. In prayer, God came and told him. Paul made an effort in a miserable circumstance to separate himself from his circumstance and get somewhere and focus his thoughts and allow God to speak. And because he did that, Paul was ready when the opportunity came. So on screen are some things we can learn from Paul about this idea. First, it is always a good time to encourage others in the faith. Acts chapter 27, follow along, verses 34 through 36. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. Never pass up an opportunity to encourage someone. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, I want to encourage you, don't give up. Sometimes it means putting your hand on someone's shoulder. You've got to be careful in this culture, I know. It's okay to touch though. That's not illegal yet. Touch them and say, listen, life is better. This isn't the end of your life. Sometimes people need to hear that. Now, it's silly. If you're, if you're doing well and you haven't ever had a life-changing crisis in your life or something like that, someone saying to you, this isn't the end of your life, sounds silly, but for some people, that may actually save them. To know that right now isn't the only thing that's going to happen. You will get better. Your child won't always hate you. You will not always be struggling with this. You will laugh again. Sometimes people cannot imagine ever being happy again. Sometimes they need to hear that. Never pass up the opportunity to encourage. Paul would also say, it's always a good time to minister to someone in need. Chapter 28, verses 7 through 10. Follow along if you would. Now in the neighborhood of that place were, were lands belonging to the leading men of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it came about that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him. And after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. It's always a good time to take time for others. Again, you've got to be paying attention. You've got to be on your game. You've got to be prayed up and, and, and thinking about someone other than yourself. And I know that is hard. In our culture, we have this myth of me time. Me time is all about me. 
Me time is me investing time in me. Me time is investing money in me. And I understand there is a need for that. You've got to take care of yourself. But don't fall in for the myth that me time is more important than others' time. It's not a either or, it's a both and. Yes, you have to take care of yourself. But sometimes you must be willing to sacrifice something of you to help someone else. It is not always fun ministering to other people. Sometimes the people that you get the minister to may not be very friendly. They won't always say thank you. Sometimes they smell. Sometimes they will steal from you if you're not careful, etc., etc. Minister to them anyway, Jesus would say. The practice of self-sacrifice can be a very holy experience where you give something up of yourself for the sake of others. Paul did that. Paul didn't necessarily want to be on the island of Malta. He didn't want to be necessarily in chains on his way to see Caesar. None of those things. But there he was. So he sacrificed his time and energies and went and helped this man. And it was a good thing for everybody. One other thing. It is always a good time to share the message of Jesus. Chapter 28. Look at verses 28 through 31 if you would. Let it be known to you therefore that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed having a great dispute amongst themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. So sometimes life puts you in a crummy situation and that's it. No easy answers, no way out, no solutions. You can feel sorry for yourself and sulk and be angry. And I understand. I've done that. And so have you. Or. Or. This is when you have that serious prayer with God. God, you've got to help me here. I am dying here. I hate this. But I need more. When you do that, God works. It's not fun or easy. Nothing changes necessarily. But you change from the inside. And you just might find out that people will listen to you if you talk something about Jesus. As you saw, he was there for years. Verse 30, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, welcoming all who came to him. Rather than being pathetic and whining that God didn't protect him or putting off his ministry well when I get out of here I'm really going to do something for Jesus instead he just said okay God this is where I am I'm stuck here it's obvious you're not going to rescue me and make it easy help me to make the best of it and so he just began to invite people in hey come talk to me now probably a lot of the people came and talked to him didn't particularly want to hear about Jesus. They just knew that this guy had quite a story and they wanted to talk to him. And then one thing led to another over a period of years. Paul would say, it is always appropriate to talk about Jesus. Your faith is applicable to every situation. 
you don't always have to tell people, do you know that if you don't follow Jesus, you're going to burn in hell? Now, that's true, but it doesn't always have to come out that way. Sometimes those words are appropriate. Sometimes not. Sometimes you need to be a little more gracious and kind. Sometimes confrontation is good. A lot of times, though, there's got to be a better way. And it's up to you to figure that out. So figure out, all right, in this situation, what do these people need to hear? How can Jesus help this person? I mentioned the young mama the other day. She's Christian. Her husband's Christian. In fact, is her husband led her to Jesus. They go to church. I didn't need to tell her how to get saved. So I'm confronted with the situation. All right, she's already saved. How can Jesus help here? So you have to think and you have to ponder and consider what else can I do? What can faith offer this person? God can use you when you allow him to. On screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Next screen please. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Last screen. Technical difficulties. So that with one purpose and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I guess Paul would probably say is it's not always about you. Yes, life dumps on you sometimes. You're going to have bad days, weeks, months, years. You cannot escape that. But your faith can help. And your faith can help others. When you talk about it and share it and live it. A lived faith can help people. A lived faith is something that we do when we celebrate communion. One of the things in this story is that Paul shared communion. When I talked about how Paul encouraged them to eat grain, what they did was take communion on the ship. He invited them, join me. And he shared the gospel with them. So today we're going to do the same thing. When we take communion in this church, this is the way it works. We're going to stand up and have a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask that the deacons come and get in their place now. When they do this, you're going to come forward after I say amen. I'm going to say come forward. You're going to come down and get your cup. And it's the peel off thing. You know how it works. If you can't work that and you have trouble, get somebody's attention. They will help you. For some of you that want to, you can walk up and down an aisle looking for people that are struggling. It's okay to help them. Do that. Why don't you stand with me now? We invite you to join us as a follower of Jesus, perhaps as someone who's considering becoming a follower of Jesus. Join us in this meal of worship and reminding ourselves that we worship the resurrected Christ. Pray with me. Father, again, we thank you for your presence. Father, help us. Remind us of who Jesus is, of your power how you can work to make things better. How you can help us and give us strength. Be with us now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember, the point of communion isn't to eat. The point of communion is to 
remind ourselves that we are the body of Christ. God has called us. Read a passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians 11. Paul telling the story. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then continues the story. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul finishes the story. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This meal doesn't fill your belly, it fills your soul. It helps you to understand that who you are in Christ is a new creature. It came not because you're smart or good, but because you allowed God in. And that happens because of the crucifixion and resurrection. You, Christians in Ukraine, when we do this, are all one in Christ. Why don't you stand with me? Nate's going to lead us in a closing hymn of celebration and invitation. Respond to God as you would. Say yes to his leadership. If you need to say something to me or come forward and talk to me, do that if you would. Nate? us a blessing to others as we go out from here. In Jesus' name, amen.